Good morning. Nice to see all of you uh, gathering together with us this morning. If you've got a Bible, go with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20 is where we're going to be today. If you do not have a Bible with you, but you'd like to follow along with us, there are Bibles that are on the chair racks there in front of you. And if you're with us this morning and you are unfamiliar with the Bible and where to find things, you can find the passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at on page 930 of the Bibles that are in the chair racks there in front of you. This morning we've got uh, several things to do, many of which are related to pastors. Um, We're going to be installing three pastors who are We have been looking at over the course of the last year uh, to identify their uh, fitfulness for ministry, and we now have the joyful privilege of installing them here at the end of the service. We're going to be recognizing uh, a a faithful pastor who has been pastoring here for for several years who is going to uh, step down and take a break. And for uh, those of you who... uh, Pretty much everybody, I would assume, knows. I uh, know this is my last Sunday preaching with you for the uh, preaching. To, I guess I'm not preaching with you. I'm preaching to you uh, for the summer, and so you can hold your applause on that until later. But what I thought I'd do this morning is take some time to preach about pastors. And in preaching about pastors, uh, I will I will just say a couple of things. One. This sermon is going to be more rambly than other sermons uh, because there are all kinds of things that I want to be able to say and I'm not always sure how to say. Uh, the second thing is just to recognize that when I, when I talk about pastors, uh, it, various things may pop into your mind uh, as you think about pastors. Uh, one of the things that pops into my mind when I think about pastors is the word disillusionment, and I am one. So I wouldn't begrudge you at all if when you hear the word pastors, you think in disillusioned terms. It seems like every single week, another scandal breaks that has to do with pastors. Pastors who have abused the people in their care, and have used a network of relationships to cover it up, pastors who have, have tried to create churches as their own personal kingdoms where they can amass power for themselves, pastors who have used their platform to, to benefit financially, to build their own personal brand, to, to siphon front funds out from the church or to create companies that they can then hire by their church that end up putting money back in their own pockets. I mean, the list of things goes on and on, which is why we often have disillusioned thoughts when we think about pastors. But I want to talk a little bit about what healthy pastoral leadership looks like in a church based on what the Bible has to say. And I want us to to ask God, to, to beg God even, that He would give us healthy pastoral leadership at our church that 
that is in stark contrast with the pastoral leadership that we see flicker across our headlines day in and day out. To guide us this morning, we're going to use just one verse of Scripture from Acts chapter 20. And before we read that one verse in Acts chapter 20, I want to make you aware of a couple things. So we're talking about pastors this morning. I want to remind you that there are three different words that the New Testament uses for the office of pastor. It uses the term shepherd, from which we get our term pastor. And so pastors are shepherds. They are to shepherd the flock of God. Another term that you'll run across in the New Testament that describes the office of pastor is overseer. And then a third term that you will find in the New Testament to describe that office is the office of elder. We see in its verb form, shepherd, here in Acts 20, along with the term elder and overseer. And so if you just read through Acts 20, you could see all three of those terms in one place being used interchangeably. So I just want to remind you that all of those things are referring to the one office of pastor. The other thing I want to do very briefly is remind you of what's going on in Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul knows or strongly believes that he is never going to see some of the people that he has been doing ministry with again. He's going to be going to Jerusalem. He is going to be uh, taken uh, prisoner in Jerusalem. That is eventually going to result in him uh, making a journey to Rome where he will live under house arrest in Rome. And so they're all aware that this is probably the last time they're going to see each other. And so one of the things that the Apostle Paul does is he calls for elders of a particular church the church in Ephesus, so that he can share with them some last thoughts before he gives them a tearful goodbye. And among all of those thoughts, we find verse 28. And it's Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 that I want us to just zero in. Out of all of those things that we could talk about in this chapter, I just want to to narrow in on that verse. If you're there with me in Acts chapter 20, look down at verse 28. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God which He obtained with His own blood. That's the verse that I want to guide our thinking as we Think, and we try to allow the Bible once again to shape our perspectives on what godly and faithful pastoral leadership looks like. If I were to reword that verse and just put it to you in my own words, I'd say it this way. Pastors are given by the Spirit to lead and care for Jesus' church. Pastors are given by the Spirit to lead and and care for Jesus's church. And what I'd like to do this morning is just uh, briefly break that statement that I just gave you down into four parts and give you a few brief thoughts on each of those four parts before I give some very specific application to our particular church and the pastoral leadership that we have here. The first piece of breaking down this sentence is really just 
one word, pastors, pastors. The New Testament vision for pastoral leadership is, is plurality. Plurality is a fancy way of saying more than one. And the New Testament ideal for local churches is that there would be a plurality of pastors. In fact, when we're reading through the New Testament, these terms that are used to describe the office of pastor are almost always in the plural. I'll give you just one example. I could multiply examples for you, but I'll just give you one from this chapter. In Acts chapter 20, if you look back at verse 17, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, says, Now from Miletus, he, referring, about, referring to Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So here we've got a meeting called, Paul calls the elders, plural, of the singular Ephesian church. Now, of course, this does not mean that a church that has only one pastor is a church that is sinning. I want to be quick and careful to say that. Uh, I'm, I'm using my terms carefully when I say that plurality is the New Testament ideal because there's something far worse than having only one pastor, and that's having multiple biblically unqualified pastors. And so it would be much better to have one biblically qualified pastor than multiple pastors, some of whom are not biblically qualified. But the New Testament ideal is for a plurality of pastors for a variety of reasons. Let me just give you a couple of them. For one thing, it shares the load of leadership and care with a group of qualified men. No one person has all the gifts. I wish I had them all. I sometimes act like I have them all, but I don't. In fact, the amount of gifting that I have is is frighteningly inadequate to faithfully, fully pastor Christ's church. There is no one person who exclusively hears from God. There is no one person who has the ability at all times to make the right decision in every situation, to anticipate every potential thing that could be coming down the road, to, heal, to, to handle every counseling situation correctly, to, to set the direction for the church perfectly every time. No one person can do that. The Bible uses the metaphor of the body of Christ. And the Bible uses the metaphor of the body of Christ because there are many parts to the one body. All of them are needed. And pastors, and particularly lead pastors, would do well to remember that at the end of the day, they are just a part. The broader body of Christ. The whole body is needed to carry out the mission. So a multiplicity of pastors shares the load of leadership among multiple people. There's wisdom in having a variety of gifting, of personality, of temperament, of age, and life experiences at the table. 
It's also good for us to have a plurality of pastors because we sometimes have the impulse of, of, of setting our pastors on pedestals. Now, I thank God for the many men and women at church who have made it your life's work to make sure that I never make it up on that pedestal. You are doing a great job. (laughs) Leaders can cultivate this impulse in their people by building themselves into a brand, by cultivating a a presence both virtually and physically that, that makes them an aspirational lifestyle. Influencers who preach. Our families are amazing. Everything we do is awesome and intentional and perfect. But this is not healthy. It is not healthy to put our pastors on pedestals. We want pastors who... In some respect, can echo the words of Paul that say, follow me as I follow Christ, but but pastors, I say brilliantly, are people with the same problems you've got, their same foibles, their same propensities to sin, the same family problems you have, the same anxieties you have. It's just, it's all the same. We would do better to remember that ourselves and to encourage a culture that does not highlight the influence of one person. Ideally, a church is served by a plurality of pastors who who arrive at decisions together and lead together and care for each other's souls together. There's a second part of that statement. Pastors, in the second place, are given by the Spirit. If you look back at Acts chapter 20, he says in verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He says that to them not to give them an unhealthy sense of their own authority. There can be an unhealthy sense of our own authority where we see ourselves as God's gift to the church. The Spirit has given us to the church. It's it's not meant to encourage those sorts of attitudes and that sort of heart in us, but it is meant to give pastors a godly and humble confidence. The Spirit has given pastors as overseers, not so they can be little popes who can never be questioned or are never wrong. God gives pastors through the Spirit for the benefit of the church. How do they benefit the church? Well, the Apostle Paul explains this and develops this further in Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12, when he says this, And he, that's speaking of Jesus Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body Christ. So pastors, shepherds, are given by Jesus, given by the Spirit, to the body of Christ to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So who do pastors think they are? God's gift to the church? 
Well, yes, in a sense, but not that sense. Yes, in the sense that everything that the church is called to do is to be carried out by the people of the church, by the body of Christ. And pastors have a role as ministry mobilizers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That is why they are given by the Spirit. It's a third aspect of this phrase that I want to highlight to you. Pastors are given by the Spirit to lead and care for. To lead and care for. These are two roles that the Apostle Paul mentions that are directly related to each other. Pastors are overseers. And that Greek word for overseer carries with it the idea of being a a guardian, a, a supervisor of safeguarding something. So pastors, in a very real sense, are supposed to lead. They are, they are to determine the direction of the church, to serve the church by establishing godly leadership. But they do so, they're intended to do so, under the lordship of Jesus. One of the things that Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5 is he's speaking a word to pastors he, is that he tells them how they are supposed to pastor. He tells them in 1 Peter 5 verse 2 that they are to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. There's that leadership responsibility, but we need to make sure we understand what it looks like to exercise oversight. Because if you skip a little bit ahead in verse 3, or you see as I've got in the screen behind me, they're to do that in a way that is not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. If you constantly have to press your pastoral authority or play some sort of pastoral authority card, you don't have it. If you constantly have to tell people the leader, it's because you ain't. Pastors are supposed to lead by example, and they don't always have to tell everyone they're leading. They just do it. And they do it in a way that is not domineering over the flock, not binding the consciences of the people in their church, not trying to get themselves involved in every single little decision as if they are the conduit to God. No, that's not what we're supposed to do. We're not to be domineering over those in our charge, but by being examples to the flock. So yes, real leadership. But one of the chief ways we are to strengthen our leadership is by being examples of people who are worth following, who are trustworthy to follow. So we are to lead for the flock, lead the flock. We're also to care for the flock. That word care for is the same root for the word to shepherd. When it says to lead and to care for the flock, that's that's the term of shepherding. 
God's people are precious to him. So, you're God's people. You are precious to God. We're going to dig into that in a little bit more in a few moments. But you are precious to God, which means that your pastors ought to care for you and shepherd you in a way that shows that they believe that's the case, that you are precious to God and thus you are precious to them. One of the reasons I can be so disillusioned with pastoral leadership as we look out scandal after scandal after scandal is the people who are supposed to lead and care for and love God's flock are the people who again and again and again are exploiting it. If you've seen anything of the Christian news, you know the largest evangelical denomination in our country released a report where literally hundreds of pastors have been abusing people in their churches, and there has been a cover-up to make sure that none of it ever sees the light of day. Brothers and sisters, that should not be so. Shame on us. Shame on the church for ever allowing something like this to happen. Shepherds are supposed to be different. Rather than trying to amass for ourselves power and influence so that we can have the things that we want and do the things that we want and make sure that that people get run over by the bus if anything happens that we don't like, we should rather instead take Jesus. Here's a novel idea. Jesus as our model of leadership and lead like he does. Caring for the flock. Because God's people are precious to him. And he wants pastors to have a caring presence with them. That leads me to the fourth aspect of this statement. Pastors are given by the Spirit to lead and care for whose church? Jesus' church. Jesus' church. That's what Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 says. Look at it again. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of who? God. God's church, and in case we haven't quite getting it, gotten it yet, it says, which he obtained with what? His own blood. Why are you precious to Jesus? Answer, because he purchased you with his own blood. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross tells us the lengths Jesus was willing to go to gather a people for himself, 
that he could bless and love and show mercy for all eternity. Jesus is the good shepherd. What does he do? What does the good shepherd do? He suppresses all things negative for the sake of the mission. He builds a brand and a platform so that he can sell books. He uses his power to abuse people under his care. No. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now let me just pause here for a moment. I know we're talking about church stuff right now, and somebody maybe has walked in, this is maybe your first time visiting with us, and you're like, wow, this is an interesting Sunday. I want you to hear something here. Because maybe God brought you to our church this Sunday morning to hear just this little snippet of what I'm going to say. Maybe you forget the rest of it, and that's fine. But maybe God wants you to hear this little snippet. When I say, when I read the verse that says, he obtained this church with his own blood, this is the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus died, Jesus was nailed to a cross, Jesus shed his blood so that he could purchase the church so that he could rescue people who are living in darkness and bring them into glorious light, so that he could bring people from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, so that he could take sinners like me and you and the rest of the people here and forgive us of our sins and wash us white as snow and reconcile us to God so that we can experience an eternity of blessing and joy with him forever. Jesus, God, God gave His Son, Jesus, to stand in our place to take the punishment that we deserve so that we could be forgiven of our sins. And, and maybe you came in here to hear this thing about pastors, but God really wanted you to hear this. And You can, where you are sitting right now, repent of those sins and put your faith in Jesus and be reconciled to God right now. And it may be that God just brought you to here to hear that. For the rest of us, the church, as I've been saying, is made up of saints who are precious to Jesus because he has purchased them with his very blood. And so, godly, pastoral leadership remembers that. The saints belong to Jesus. Yes, pastors are shepherds, but in that 1 Peter 5 passage that we just read about, where, how we're to shepherd the flock of God, not in a domineering way, but as examples, it says this in verse 4, it says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. One of the problems with pastoral leadership in our day is that there are a lot of other distracting crowns. 
There are a lot of other opportunities to have a crown that I can touch and feel and hold and wear and post right now. And that makes the unfading crown of glory pretty dim. What we need is pastors who are faithful under-shepherds, who recognize they work for the chief shepherd and are willing to let go of all those shiny, false, fake crowns to get one that they can only see with the eyes of faith. Those are the kinds of pastors we need. Pastors have not, cannot, will not save the church with our blood, no matter how hard we try. And we would do well to remember that. Okay? That's the statement that I wanted to share with you. Now what I want to do is draw some very specific applications, that statement, to where we are right here and right now in our church. First conclusion that I want to draw for us, or application, is is this. One of the signs of Jesus' care for us, in our specific church, is the pastors that He has graciously provided through His Spirit. We have had, in our church, several pastors throughout our history, and we have had various varying experiences with some of those pastors. But in the midst of all the difficulties, in the midst of all the challenges, there have been always certain faithful pastors who have helped us weather those storms. God continues to give us faithful pastors today. And we have done our best to identify over the course of the past year some biblically qualified men to serve in this role, and we believe that the Spirit has given us three of them. Jim Peterson, Mark Albright, and Fred Hoffland, who is not with us today because he is, uh, he is out of town. But let me give you a couple of encouragements around these new pastors that we want to install. For some of us, is our, our natural bent or inclination towards anything new or anything that we're unsure of is this. We'll see. Can I encourage you to, to try to move away from that natural inclination, if that's you? The Bible does not ask us to exhibit blind faith in our leaders. It doesn't ask us to say, well, that's what the man of God said, so I guess that's what we've got to do. It never asks us to check our brains at the door. It never asks us to follow abusive leadership. It never asks us to do any of those things. But the Bible does say things like this in Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, we hear that first word, obey, and obey is like a super strong word, and we're like, ah. That's a little scary. 
what the Bible is trying to do for us here is just trying to shape a posture in us where we say, okay, I believe that the Spirit gifts pastors to the church to equip them for the, for the work, equip us for the work of the ministry. And until proven otherwise, I want to be on that train. That's the heart posture that I think the Bible would, would have us take towards leaders. And, and it, it'll be a joy to them. And the Bible says it, that's not enough if you don't care about their happiness. It's an advantage to you to receive these pastors. So let me encourage you to default that direction. One of them, Fred Hofflin, is going to be taking the lion's share of the preaching responsibilities this summer, that we're going to have some guest speakers here and there. Some of you are ecstatic that you don't have to hear me go on and on for a few months. Please refrain from clapping. The other three of you are disappointed that you're not going to be able to hear me every week. Let me challenge you to use this summer as a time of healthy orientation in this way. What preaching is supposed to do, whether it is done well, whether it is done not as well, is it's supposed to make people hear the voice of the chief shepherd. That's what preaching is supposed to do. So, this is probably not the case given my modest gifts, but I will say this. If, if, if you are feeling trained to hear my voice, then let me encourage you to use this summer to train yourself a little bit in a healthy way off of my voice. Because at the end of the day, whatever voice is delivering it to you is delivering you Christ and delivering the word. And that's what you need. People are going to let you down. The church is going to let you down. You know what's never going to let you down? The solid rock on which we stand. Every other ground is sinking sand. Use this summer to hear the voice of the chief shepherd through whatever voice saying what he says. Use this summer to remember that this church must not and cannot be built on a personality. It must be built on Jesus. I'm taking a sabbatical this summer. You're not. Can I encourage you? Sometimes when I've past church experiences where I wasn't a pastor, it's like if the, the main guy wasn't going to be there. I was like, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to try other churches out. Can I encourage you not to do that this summer? Can I encourage you with this? Nothing would make me happier than to see lots of wonderful things that have happened that I had no part in. This is not a summer of maintaining. This is a summer of moving forward. I could get hit by a truck. In fact, I ride my bike a lot. 
Odds are good. The church is going to move on without me. Don't take your own sabbatical this summer. Give this church everything you've got. What I want to do is I want to bring up the pastors that we're going to be installing this morning, the two that are here. They can go ahead and uh, come up. And what we want to do is lay hands on them, which is not as bad as it sounds. The Bible talks about laying hands on people. We want to lay hands on them, and I'll ask uh, Pastor Joseph and Pastor Chuck to come up. And if you can just come right over here, this is perfect up here. There we go. We've got Joseph on one side, Chuck on the other. We want to pray for these brothers in their, their work. Father, we thank you that you have blessed our church with um, under-shepherds who answer to the chief shepherd. I pray that our church would be a place that is different from what we see around us, that the pastoral leadership that's modeled here would be more modeled on the leadership of Jesus. I pray that you'd help these brothers to pastor for the unfading crown of glory. And I pray that you would take care of them as they serve, that you would guard them and protect them from the fiery darts of the evil one. I pray that you would give us an affinity and a love for each other, and that you would bless them in their work of equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. We thank you for these gifts of the Spirit, and pray that you would help us to put them to good use for the glory of the Chief Shepherd, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You guys can sit down. Application number two that's specific to our church. I want us to give thanks for a pastor who has served us faithfully for many years. The Bible says this in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17, it says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. There's lots of things that could be said about this verse. We're going we're gonna to skip saying all of those things about that verse for time's sake. But what this verse does highlight is that, is that pastors who serve well are worthy of honor. And we have a, a pastor who is worthy of being honored this morning. Pastor Chuck, if you could come up once again with me. Uh, Chuck has faithfully served our church as a lay. That means that's a nice way of saying, we're not going to pay you anything for this, but you have to do all the work. Uh, as a lay pastor for 14 years now, which is almost double the time that I've been here. He has served for a long time, and he has served in a variety of ways. Um, he has taught Sunday school. He has been willing to preach whenever he has been asked to preach, and those are visible things that he does. But as I've said before at mission briefings and other things like that, Chuck has served mostly behind the scenes in ways that most of us will never see unless we're the recipient of, those, uh, of, of that ministry. 
uh, Chuck has given countless hours in elder meetings and then the tasks that come out of elder meetings. Organized, emailed, there have been situations where, where Chuck has volunteered to go to somebody's house to deal with a difficult situation. He has been uh, a stabilizing point as our church has walked through some rough waters in the past years, even before I have even been here. And one of the, one of the constants through all of it is, has been Chuck. Chuck is a steady guy. But he's not a guy that draws attention to himself. He's not a guy that seeks attention. And for that reason, you may not know all of those things. But I want you to know, because the Bible says that Elders who serve well are worthy of double honor. One of the things that we want to do is something uh, small but simple. Is, uh, we have our mission statement that Lauren Craig has, uh, has made for us. We have our mission statement on a plaque that we want to give him. Uh, he's been serving 14 years. He's going to take a much-needed break. He may come back, uh, depending on what he wants to do. But this is something that he can put in his office or house or wherever you want to put it. We're not going to check up on you to make sure you put it somewhere. Uh, Chuck is still involved in carrying out the mission of our church. Um, because he's not serving right now as a pastor doesn't mean he's not serving. He's going to be the kind of guy that continues his steady ways no matter what. And so I just want to very publicly thank you for your work, brother, and I'd like us to give him a hand. Wait. You don't get to leave yet. We're also going to pray and thank God. Unless you want to speak into my, my mic. That'd be awkward. He has to get really close. <laughs> All right. Let's, I want to say a word of thanks for, for Chuck. Lord, we thank you for Chuck's years of faithful service. We ask uh, your blessing on him and in his family and his work. I thank you that he exemplifies what it looks like to to pastor and shepherd for the unfading crown of glory. I pray that you would continue to bless him in every good thing he puts his hand to. We thank you that we have been recipients and will continue to be recipients of his ministry gifts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, brother. All right, lastly, you'll be happy to know the plane has almost landed. I want to... uh, I was telling the first service, this, uh, this feels a little bit odd to me uh, for this to be my last sermon for a few months. Um, I, feel, I, I feel like I'm dying, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so like I'm giving people my last words. In fact, I sent somebody an email this week. The subject line was, last will and testament of the building committee. <laughs> it was basically like, if something happens while I'm gone, here's the next thing, <laughs> And I've sent lots of emails, and after sending all those emails, I was like, this is starting to feel really morbid. Uh, so, so hopefully that's not the case. Um, I want to thank you for uh, blessing me and my family with the opportunity to, to take this sabbatical for the summer. Uh, it's something that initially, and when I say allowed me to take, I really mean more by being forced to take. Uh, it was given to me as an option that I also had to do. And uh, I'm very thankful for it. I uh, initially said yes, and then after thinking about it, found several reasons why I couldn't. And uh, Jim, who was just up here, um, I've, I've told some of you this before, but Jim is a very direct person. And uh, Jim said to me when I was talking with him about this and giving him the reasons why, 
he said, do you really think this church can't keep going without you? And I said, hmm, it's a fair question. Uh, and of course, I didn't think that, but I, I act like that. And it's true, um, this church very much can very much can go on without me and will. This is an opportunity for both of us to align ourselves once again with the chief shepherd. I'm not good at saying these sorts of things. In fact, the, one of the things this past year and a half has, has shown me is how emotionally stunted as a, of a person I am. <laughs> which apparently others around me have known for quite some time, but hey, it got to be a revelation for me. Uh, Isn't that the way it always is? Uh, One of the things that I'm not good at is expressing myself emotionally to you. Uh, And one of the things that it's, you know, we've got a a brother here, Mike Carroll, and one of the things that Mike will always say when you're done talking to him, he's like, love you, bro. And I was like, yeah. Back at you, bud. Same. Uh, It's just this weird thing. (laughs) Um, But what I want to tell you is that I love you. And uh, I want you to understand that, and I want you to understand that that departing this summer for this sabbatical is not something that I'm like, woo, peace, I'm out. Uh, it's actually pretty hard for me to do, and it's grown harder to do the closer it's gotten to time. You all have been very gracious with me um, as I have admitted my own weaknesses to you, as I have experienced my hitting the wall of my own limitations. Uh, my, my sinful bent is to try to live without limits. And there have been a few very specific times in my life where I have hit the wall of limitations, totally not seeing it coming. Um, And uh, you've been gracious in allowing me to admit that to you. Uh, And I think it's helpful (laughs) to keep me off the pedestal (laughs) and help you to know that, hey, it's okay for us to be um, broken people um, because we all need Jesus. But I want you to understand that as we, as we leave, something that I don't tell you enough and that I want to tell you more is that even though, even though the last couple of years between cancer and everything else that's been happening, the last couple of years has, has been a great struggle for us, do not think that we leave, that I walk out of here excited to leave you behind because I genuinely care for and love all of you. And I have every intention of coming back. My request would be that my key still fits the lock when I return. Jesus bought the church with his own blood. The gates of hell aren't going to be able to prevail against it. And I'm excited to come back refreshed to continue leading it very soon.